So, Mark, uh, here's the question. What what does the... I don't think we can call Superman, Batman a complete and total collapse just yet, but uh, it certainly does not... Don't you feel like Warner and DC have to fix the expectations around this franchise before moving on with the standalone Wonder Woman? I mean, next year, we're 18 months away from the Justice League movie. Well, those things are already underway. I mean, there's no way. Do you really think that they're going to start, that the studio will start mandating rewrites based on. Ben Affleck has written his standalone Batman movie. I know. I mean, it. it Should they fast track that and then dump uh, some of the other ones? Look, I, it, if I were running Warner Brothers, I would, I would, make, a, I would make an executive decision to, uh, you know, dump, dump Zack Snyder right now. But if you were running Warner Brothers, you would have already made the mistake of hiring Zack Snyder. Well, that's it. That's the problem. They, they, they never should have done that. I could have told him that, as everyone knows. Uh, you know, you see that movie, and I, I know the movie's been out for like, whatever, three, four weeks now, but, you know, just, you know that, that scene, the, the, the scene in the movie where, um, where Batman looks at the files, at the computer files that show you little glimpses of yeah. Aquaman, a little glimpse of Cyborg. Yeah. Little glimpse of, of, of the Wonder Woman movie, you Flash. know they all look so Flash. They all look so. The Flash from the could be could be fun, nah. but they all look they got so. The, they got the creepy guy from. He is the, creepy. Who, yeah, uh, the, Kevin, the Kevin movie. Something yeah, about they, Kevin. Yeah, they got. They, why would you hire him? Like truly, did you read this? Because Zack Snyder's like, oh, I don't think we can really go with the uh, with the, you know the guy from uh, the Flash TV show. It's not really our world. It's like, so you're going to hire the guy from somebody? What, what's wrong with you? Be, you no, know, you know why? Because because I guarantee Zack Snyder saw that they saw that Kevin. I movie. mean, Grant Gustin is great on television. No, no, he's no, great. He, he's too. You know what? The the TV DC world is much closer aligned stylistically with the Marvel movie world. Yes. It's too bright and poppy and fun and charming and whatever. They want the kid who looked like a creepy serial killer in that Something About Kevin movie, and that's what they want. Yeah, well. Because he's badass. Yeah. He's well, badass Flash. They need to take a cue and realize that this whole DC world is a little bit too self-serious. And when it movies. comes to Flash, nothing, I'm sorry, I don't care what they do with the Flash, nothing will be better than the scene in uh, whatever it was, the X-Men movie, where Quicksilver... Runs around really fast to the song uh, "Time oh, in a true. Bottle." True, remember that? Yeah, that was hilarious. That Pretty was great. great. That was a great moment. That was, you know, and uh, they'll they'll never replicate that because no. because that's not where the the priorities are. The priority is to make him as mean and badass and dark as he can possibly be. Yeah, whatever. But I'm just Horrible. wondering whether, like, some of these films that some of these DC films. Why are we talking about this? Some of these DC films that come out like way in the future, right? You know, when they when they 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 plotted it out to like 2020 in that big mm-hmm. press release. There might still be time to maybe lighten up a little bit because the thing with Marvel, what they've done is they've been clever. They, you know, you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy, you've got Ant Man, right? You've got some of these other films. You've even got Deadpool. There, there's a little bit of a spread there in terms of how funny, and, clever, and, charming, you know, serious they are. And Doctor Strange, are. and Doctor Strange is going to be an interesting thing too. I think you know, Cumberbatch is a good, really good choice for totally. that. And that's that is arguably my favorite uh, Marvel hero, Doctor Strange. I, you know what? No, so. I, I, that's lame. It's great. Did you ever see the TV movie, no, Doctor Strange? No one cares about the, the TV 80s? Movie. No one really cares. Good. Lame. Really Doctor good. Strange is lame. Because he, he's not a, like a superhero. Is like, you know, he wears his underwear on the outside, and he fights supervillains. Doctor Strange is like, he's like, he's like David Copper. He's like... Uh, he's, he's a sorcerer. He's like that uh, Doug it's Henning. It's mystical. He's like Doug Henning or something. It's mystical. <laughs> he's like Doug Henning is a superhero. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Doug Henning also wore his... He wore that, like, superhero outfit. I'm telling you. It was like that, that uh, skin-tight polyester with the bell-bottoms. It was it's creepy. All, it's all coming together. And the buck teeth and the, uh, the 70s hair. All right, what are okay. we talking about? So, you know what? I've been hanging on to a lot of... Uh, uh, Asian stuff for a while, and uh, whoa, primi- whoa, primarily whoa, Hong Kong. So, what? No, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> okay, so let me uh, let me go through some of these because there's some interesting stuff here. Primarily Chinese films. Uh, the Nightingale, which was a, uh, an, a Chinese submission for the Academy Award, not uh, not exactly a great film, but uh, you know one of the better films that China has submitted in a while. This is from 2013. Uh, they, people have to understand also that there is a 
there's a disconnect. One reason why Chinese films have never particularly fared well at the Academy Awards, at least not since they, they, they had their little run of Zhang Yimou films in the 80s uh, and early 90s, one reason that they haven't fared well is because there's a disconnect between Chinese filmmakers and the government. The films the government feels they want to, uh, to, to push and to bolster and to promote are not necessarily the good films. They're the ones that all have kind of a uh, you know a, a state message, a party message, and and the ones that they're really good filmmakers make tend to be really kind of very critical, socially critical films that the government doesn't approve of. So you get a very interesting disconnect. Um, this is one where that actually didn't necessarily completely happen. It's a, it's a good, solid drama. It's a, it's a nice family drama. Uh, it doesn't push a lot of envelopes, but it also isn't propagandistic. So, uh, that being said, it is a, The Nightingale is a nicely shot movie, um, uh, basically about a guy who uh, who's, has lost his wife, and he uh, goes back to his hometown to um, free this little bird that has been his, uh, his sole companion. And uh, there, you wind up throwing in the uh, the granddaughter, and you know, sort of all these other people and pieces fall into the story, and it becomes very, very sweet and uh, and touching. So it's not genius, but it's not again, it's not uh, propagandistic, and I thought it was perfectly fine. Uh, then we've got a couple of interesting things here, Mark. I'm going to make you laugh. Okay, I want. <laughs> we... No, stop. So we have we have we have two movies here. <laughs> I just want to. Sh- Show you the artwork on the cover of both. <laughs> They're exactly almost the same. Each one features two people dangling from a building by their very fingertips. But exactly the same angle too. Pretty much. So marketing in in uh, in China has pretty much gone the same way as marketing in the U.S., which is once some one somebody does something, everybody does the same thing. So we have first of all a movie called uh, Two Guys Dangling from the. Uh, from the uh, alleged out of the inferno, feel the heat. This is unfortunately uh, a, not the film that I really wanted it to be. Um, this is from the the Pang brothers, who were once kind of a thing, you know, and uh, they have all but disappeared. Why have the Pang brothers kind of fallen off the map, Mark? Well, because um, they. I'm trying to think of a joke with the name Pang. Yeah. Because they drink too much tea. I mean, Bangkok Dangerous and the Eye. Bangkok Dangerous is good. They did. They had some good stuff. Anyway, so they they had their moment and uh, kind of went away. But in any case, um, this is, uh, you know, they I guess they're making the, making do with what they can. Anyway, the whole thing, this is kind of a towering inferno story uh, about a couple of guys who have to evacuate a uh, commercial tower uh, on when it you know when it uh, catches fire on the hottest day of the year. Okay, fair enough, whatever. But the more interesting film to make mention of is Lost in Hong Kong. Now, Lost in Hong Kong is uh, this is on Blu-ray and this is from Wellgo, and this it was a gigantic success in in China the, until the new Stephen Chow film had been released, which is just within the last uh, month and a half, which is now like the most popular film in the history of of the Chinese speaking people. Uh, Lost in Hong Kong was a big deal, and it was the sequel uh, to that. Uh, was it Lost in Vietnam, the one that before it? You, you I do no, not remember. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, so anyway, uh, which is basically like the Hangover in uh, for China, and that was a big hit as well. the uh, The guy who directed this, huge, huge director uh, in in China, he makes a lot of big blockbusters. Uh, bottom line is this is a horrible movie. Lost in Hong Kong is just a terrible movie. It's a big, convoluted, confused, blockbustery thing that says that China now has taken the – they adopted the Hollywood model, and they're just going to load a bunch of stars into a silly slapstick comedy and have a bunch of really big, obnoxious, uh, overblown, expensive set pieces. And uh, people go and flock to it in droves. And uh, the era of great Chinese filmmaking is effectively over. Uh, so anyway, Xu uh, Zheng – who stars in it, wrote it, directed it. He's like the the deal over there. He's a big deal. Lost in Thailand. That was the previous film, Lost in Thailand. So anyway, he's the the big deal, and uh, these movies get very, very minimal uh, marketing in the U.S., but they are huge in China. I I don't like it at all, but if you you want to see what they're flocking to the theaters to see in China, by all means, go check it out. Uh, then an interesting th- film called Masterless, which is um, I, I, I hesitate to call it Zen. This is from Arc Entertainment, um, but it's uh, there's a kind of an interesting Zen thing to this. 
there's it, this this deals with um, it's I don't even want to say it's superhero-y, but anyway. So there's a there's a guy who is, um, let's say he kind of lives in two parallel worlds. And in one, he's an architect, and in the other, he's a samurai. He's a ronin, a, ro- a roving samurai. And uh, he has to somehow reconcile those two worlds, and they each have an effect on the other and bring his, his life issues together. Does that make sense? Or am I completely... You never make sense. I never make sense. Well, anyway, it's called Masterless. A daring film. Uh, sort of more philosophical than narrative, but uh, certainly worth it. Uh, and then real quickly, Kung Fu, Trailers of Fury, uh, Blu-ray from Severin with lots of really, really great trailers on it. Very, very funny. Rick Myers, unfortunately, shows up and does an audio commentary, which I'm so tired of his commentaries. He just finagles his way into everything. Uh, he also has a featurette on here with, uh, along with Frank Jang. Anyway, uh, a lot of fun stuff here, though. I mean, Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan films get, uh, you know, a story of Drunken Master, Enter the Fat Dragon. There's a lot of good trailers here. It's fun. It's good, a good, good watch. And then lastly, but most importantly, uh, there is a, uh, a, a whole, this is a revelation for uh, martial arts fans. The Golden Harvest Collection, which has been over, um, which was bought by Warner Brothers years ago, used to be with Media Asia, went from Golden Harvest to Media Asia, which was kind of a sister company, and then uh, finally wound up at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers doesn't really know what to do with these films, so they're finally releasing them as kind of a, subcategory, a separate brand within the Warner Archive Library. And uh, they're all MOD, but people have to be elated because finally these movies are coming out again, and many of them have never been out at all. So here's what I have. I have the first six films from the Golden Harvest uh, brand of the Warner Archive, and here's what we have. You ready for this, Mark? I'm ready. You ready. You better, be, you better believe you're ready. Blade of Fury, starring uh, T. Long which is a, a really, really fun film. T. Long, of course, was a big deal. Uh, this takes place in the 19th century during the Japanese occupation of uh, Taiwan. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a Qing Dynasty uh, period piece. Good fun. Uh, Pedicab Driver, a classic. This is uh, Sammo Hung, uh, stars in and directed. And uh, this is one of the, one of the great classic uh, Hong Kong New Wave films of all time. Uh, Lau Kar Leung is in this. I mean, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. One of the best things that uh, Sammo Hung's ever done compares with the very best of Jackie Chan films. You must see this movie. If you love Hong Kong New Wave films, you must see this. Uh, Big Bullet, uh, one of the later uh, Hong Kong New Wave films. This is from Benny Chan, stars the great Lau Ching Wan. Good action film. Not one of my favorites. I think that it, it sort of uh, wallows in the wake of uh, John Woo and uh, Ringo Lam a little bit, but it's it's still very very good. And uh, you know, as far as one of those tough, hard boiled cop movies, it's still a very very popular one. Uh, the Blade is uh, one of the more popular Choi Hak films. It is. Um, uh, kind of a variation on the one-armed swordsman films that uh, were a big deal back in the uh, 60s and into the early 70s. Uh, this is a um, this is a much grittier, more grueling reinvention of it. Vincent Zhao, who was supposed to be sort of the new Jet Li for a moment and a half, uh, is very, very good in the, uh, in the lead. And, of course, it is stylish and uh, has some great, great action stuff in it. So The Blade, this is one I wish was on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it's not. Then we also have uh, Peter Chan has been, uh, he's had a career on both sides. You know, he did, uh, he did that uh, Kate Capshaw film, the love, was it The Love Letter? Uh, Star Wars? No, The Love Letter. I think it was The Love Letter. Anyway, Peter Chan had a moment here in Hollywood. I interviewed him at the time. Uh, it didn't quite work out for him, but he, uh, he has since gone on to do some rather big, elaborate period pieces uh, back in Hong Kong and in China. But before that, he made some really, really cool kind of uh, comedies and dramas and uh, contemporary stuff, and this is one of the, this is sort of the one that really put him on the map. He's a woman, she's a man, uh, which has a fantastic cast. Uh, the uh, the late Anita Yun, uh, the uh, the late Leslie Chung, uh, very just really fantastic. Uh, Karina Lau, uh, Eric Tsang. I mean, this is like an all star cast, and two people who are are severely missed today. And uh, this is basically about a. Um, a, uh, a a fan who disguises herself as a man so she can meet her uh, her pop star idol and that's it 
And uh, it, it says a lot about the pop music scene in Hong Kong, but it's also, you know, it says a lot about the pop music and the fan scene outside. It's a really, really sweet film and uh, oftentimes very, very funny. And then lastly, did you ever see a Terracotta Warrior? I did. Did you? It's good. It is good. Yeah, I did see it. Do you remember who the star is? You see, nobody at the time knew who the star was because he now. hadn't he hadn't gone on to actually become famous. So nobody realized that the star of a Terracotta Warrior is Zhang Yimou. Yeah, he starred in it. Interesting. And then he went on to become I like guess. a legendary filmmaker, sure. and, and nobody really kind of put two and two together. Huh. So uh, Zhang Yimou and Gong Li, of course, had already begun their relationship at this time, and uh, yeah, so Gong Li and uh, Zhang, Zhang Yimou actually did star together in a movie. It's the only significant uh, uh, performance that he's ever given. But it is also interesting because it's directed by Ching Su Tung, who is a you know legendary fight choreographer and action director in his own right. And uh, Ching Su Tung, of course, has gone on to do action directing in a lot of Zhang Yimou's movies. So they've had a, uh, a wonderful relationship over the years. Anyway, uh, good film. Also, Yu Rong Guang, if anybody knows the name, Yu Rong Guang had a great uh, fight scene, with, has, an, has had a number of great fight scenes with people all over the map, especially with Jet Li and uh, a couple of films. So anyway, um, yeah, Terracotta Warrior. Basically, it's a you know fish-out-of-water thing uh, about a Terracotta Warrior who wakes up after 3,000 years and... Uh, you know, has a whole little fish out of water moment, kind of a, a you know, sort of a standard Hollywood trope, but it, it works. It's a really sweet film. So anyway, those are all on MOD from the uh, the Golden Harvest part, the Golden Harvest subcategory of the Warner Archive collection, and I think it's awesome. Wait, by the way, before we move on, can I just recommend? This has been yeah. posted on HollywoodReporter.com for a couple of weeks now, but they had a they posted a great interview with Richard Donner. Yeah. Talking about the making of Superman, yes, the Superman the movie, mm-hmm. and you've you've got to read this. I don't know if you've read it. It is I fantastic. It Donner just puts it all on the table. He talks about how he got this call from the Salkinds, who were just cheap as crap. They were just the cheapest producers on the planet. And Guy Hamilton, who directed uh, you know a couple of Bond films, mm-hmm. Guy Hamilton had dropped out of directing Superman. Oh, and I didn't know Guy Hamilton was Guy originally on board. Really? And then uh, the Saul kind said, you know what, Donna, we want you to have this gig and we'll give you a million dollars, which no in 1970, kidding. whatever, was like all the money in the world to him. Yeah. So he takes it and he reads the script. He said the, he said the Saul kind sent him the script. They sent him the script and the yeah. script was uh, 500 pages. Okay, 500? By, according to Donner in this article. Okay. It was five, I'm sure it wasn't exactly 500 pages, but it was 500 pages, and the package that they sent him to entice him included yeah. not only the script, but a Superman costume. So the, the script was so bad that it included a scene where Superman was flying around Metropolis looking for all the bald-headed people in the city because one of them is going to be Lex Luthor. Right? So he's, he's flying around looking for bald-headed people, and he sees a bald-headed guy. He lands on the ground. He thinks he's Lex Luthor, and the guy turns around, and it is Telly Savalas who hands him a lollipop and says, who loves you, babe? That was one of the scenes in the movie, in the script. And then Donner says, this thing is a piece of crap. And then he <laughs> said, he brought, he was the one who brought in Tom Mankiewicz and said, this wow. scene's got to be rewritten. And the Saul kind of like, no, it's perfect. You're not going to be right. It's perfect. And then Donner said, well, then I'm not working on it. And the Saul kind said, okay bring in your guy and start working on it. And it just goes on from there. He talks about casting Chris Reeves and working with Brando, who we said was, you know, was just fantastic. Uh, Brando, of course, in usual Brando style, did have to have his lines on pieces of paper taped to the cast chests because uh, he wouldn't remember his lines. But he said ultimately working with Brando was just fantastic. And it's a great article. It's in hollywoodreporter.com. It's, it's been posted for a couple of weeks. So, you know, it's, it's gotta, out gotta there. Gotta you you got to read it. It's great. All right. Exactly. Well, we got a, we got a few uh, few uh, catalog things from uh, last week that we didn't get to. Um, Mark, you want to talk about that one, and then I'll hit the Twilight Time, and we'll then move on. You know what's funny is that there's an. Um, we're going to talk about Boost with James Woods and Sean Young. There is um, Sean Young's in her sixties now. It's hard to believe that she was like uh, you know the pretty young thing of Hollywood. Um, or that she dressed up as Catwoman and tried and bust, well, tried to bust a, into Tim Burton's office and try to get him to cast her as Catwoman. That's the greatest psycho story ever. It really is. That's fantastic. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, she's being interviewed recently. I, I'm not sure what she has to promote, but there is an interview with her out there, and um, she does talk about this. Anyway, she also talks about her very interesting relationship with James Woods, 
She had a relationship with James Woods, and there was a. Did she put a put a dead horse's head in his bed or something? No, there was there was a story. (laughs) There there was a story about about Sean Young super glued James Woods' penis to his thigh. And that was a story that was out there for a long time, and I, I, no one really knows if it's true or not, but it's just the greatest. Anyway, they did a film together called Boost, and this thing was directed by Harold Becker. Now, Harold Becker, you know, he's a good director. I don't know that he ever made a film as great as we wanted Harold Becker to be, but he is a good director, hard-boiled, Sidney Lumet-type director. This is not his best film. Um, it uh, stars James Woods, and they're this uh, young couple living in L.A., fast lane kind of couple, um, when there's a real estate downturn, now this was in 1988, so this is not the 2008 downturn, this is the 1988 downturn, um, real estate downturn, and they're unemployed, and then they decide how they're going to get on with their lives now that they're unemployed, and the real estate market crashed. So um, it's not a bad film, but it's not one of Becker's best films, so um, I would definitely, um, if you're interested in James Woods and Sean Young, maybe you are, she was young and hot back then, it was almost 20 years ago, um, check out The Boost. From Hemdale, the good folks at Hemdale, which is no longer a thing. <laughs> Hemdale, who still owes me two hundred and fifty dollars, probably about six hundred now. They do interest. Yep, sure do. Uh, from when I was PA, yep, never got paid. What that movie? A, uh, that would have been the uh, Legend of Wolf Mountain. Oh God, yeah, boy, what a movie that was. Anyway, Twilight Time, bunch of new uh, titles from Twilight Time. Who keeps coming up with really interesting stuff? They just mine. Those 20th Century Fox and uh, and other licensed titles and come up with great stuff. Uh, so there are only 3,000 units of each of these, and you can get them at twilighttimemovies.com or screenarchives.com. And they, of course, come with the isolated score and uh, all the other usual goodies that make them so great. Um, the first one is Alexander the Great, which is Richard Burton playing Alexander. In a 1956 film that was probably largely overshadowed by uh, the Ten Commandments the same year, uh, the uh, Alexander the Great is it's not you know directed by Robert Rawson who you know big deal written and directed written produced and directed by Robert uh, by Rawson big deal director big deal filmmaker from the era I mean really you know he knows his stuff the only thing that diminishes this I think is um, the fact that they didn't get really great elements uh, out of uh, out of MGM. I think that's unfortunate, but um, you know, it's it's the best that they've got until somebody executes a full restoration. So they did a good job for the most part. Uh, isolated music track, uh, Claire Bloom talking about Alexander the Great in the original trailer. A uh, movie that I was this is completely off my radar. Ten Rillington Place. You ever heard of this, Mark? I have not. Ten Rillington Place. I don't know how this one ever completely missed me. This is a Richard Fleischer film, of all things, from 1971, which, you know, was not exactly my favorite uh, era uh, growing up because that was, you know, I had better things to do in 1971. I was, like, playing on a playground. But anyway, uh, this is a Richard Fleischer film starring Richard Attenborough and John Hurt, a very young John Hurt, that is based on a serial killer case, uh, which, and, the, and the, the creepy thing is that Richard Attenborough plays the serial killer. And um, it's a grittier kind of uh, story than you usually get out of uh, Richard Fleischer, but uh, it's actually very effective, and it dates surprisingly well. So uh, it's got all kinds of mood, and it's, it's creepy, and um, it's a story that I was completely unfamiliar with and a movie I was unfamiliar with. So 10 Rillington Place is worth checking out as well. And uh, that also comes with an audio commentary from Judy Gleason, who's one of the co-stars in the film, along with uh, Lem Dobbs and Nick Redman from Twilight Time. So uh, Lem Dobbs steps up and yeah. uh, and gives you some interesting insights Terrific on this. screenwriter, works with uh, Soderbergh. You also have a separate audio commentary from John Hurt, which I uh, was very, very grateful for because I, you know, I saw John Hurt on stage, and the guy is just uh, not to be believed. He's just one of our great classics. You're the hurtiest. The, uh, the great Sidney Poitier classic, Lilies of the Field. Uh, I, I'm always amazed. I don't know how Twilight Time prized something like this loose for Blu-ray. This is bravo, good on you. Looks gorgeous. Also get uh, a Lem Dobbs commentary on this, along with Julie Kirgo and Nick Redman. And uh, this is just a fantastic film, still. I mean, Sidney Poitier and Nuns. I don't know that it, it gets any better, really. It's a wonderful movie. It has, uh, it has never dated poorly and uh, still deserves to be seen to this day. Uh, Exodus kind of uh, was always a little bit on the nose. This is one of Otto Preminger's 
most obvious movies. Um, but it's an all-star cast, of course, deals primarily with the uh, creation of the State of Israel. Um, Paul Newman, Eva Marie Saint, uh, Sal Mineo, you know, Lee J. Cobb, John Derrick. I mean, everybody shows up in this movie. Hugh Griffith. It's just, it's just, I mean, Ralph Richardson. It's just a huge sprawling all-star thing and it's really most famous for its music uh the Ernest gold score is one of the greatest scores ever written very very uh highly respected and uh this looks really good on on blu-ray although it is quite clear that they also did not get the best available uh condition with the elements so that also probably needs a restoration and then uh anastasia is the uh ingrid bergman film from the ingrid bergman uh, star vehicle from 1956 uh, basically, the story of the um, the the daughter, the Romanov daughter from the, uh, the of the Russian czars, who allegedly may have escaped uh, assassination during the Russian Revolution, and you know it's a it's a bit of a fabricated story. It's a based on a lot of lore, but it's actually you know despite the fact that it doesn't it's not even remotely factual, uh, it's still a really nice film. This one comes piled sky high with extras, uh, tons of audio commentary material here, including Arthur Lawrence, James MacArthur, uh, film historians uh, on two different tracks, uh, newsreels, trailers. I mean, it, this is really, this is just loaded, loaded, loaded with, uh, with good stuff. So if you like Ingrid Bergman, if you like the story, that's worth checking out. And uh, that is it for the Twilight Time titles this month. So good on Twilight Time. Uh, all right, Mark, shall we dip into documentary or television? Television. Television. All right. You asked for it. You asked for it. You, you got asked it, for Toyota. It. We're loaded with TV today. We're, we're just piled sky high with TV. So uh, let's blow through it. Uh, you want to start? Oh, why, why don't I? Why don't I just start? Make mention quick, real quickly of uh, NYPD Blue season nine. Uh, this is getting right onto the tail end of the show. This is uh, after Rick Schroeder had left, and uh, Dennis Franz was now being paired with Mark Paul Goslar, and uh, it still kind of feels like the same show, but it, it belabors the point a little bit. It's uh, kind of running on fumes at this point. Uh, Twenty-two episodes, season nine. And uh, you know uh, Stephen Bochco, this was sort of his swan song as a as a uh, as a big television guy, right? I mean, he hasn't really had any hit series since. He was Not the really. man right up until that moment, and then he went away. That's it. Yeah. He the, the Dick he, Wolf he replaced icon. him. Huh? He he replaced uh, Glenn Larson, and well, actually, it, hold on, Glenn Larson got replaced by uh, Stephen J. Cannell, and Cannell got replaced by Bochco, and Bochco got replaced by Dick Wolf, and I don't know who the who the man is right now, but anyway, that's kind of the big. It's the, uh, Shonda Rhimes is the man right now. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Shonda Rhimes. Anyway, the TV showrunner Daisy Chain. Well, Shonda Rhimes, I mean, she has like a whole. She's like become a Shondaland. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, she's she's a cottage industry, just like they all were. I mean, they all are. So anyway, that's out there. Uh, what, what else we got? What else out there is um, House of Lies. I never really got into the show that much, um, although I love Don Cheadle uh, mainly because I don't have Showtime. But uh, I do catch up with it uh, uh, sporadically here and there on uh, DVD. Of which this is the fourth season. House of Lies. Uh, Don Cheadle, Kristen Bell. I've never been a big fan of Kristen Bell. She's too perfect and Barbie looking mm-hmm. for me. But anyway, this thing was created by Matthew Carnahan, so uh, I do like him. He's a very kind of tough-minded kind of a uh, director and show creator. Um, anyway, so this is uh, season four of House of Lies. Uh, we have that. We also have a show that is entering its final season um, on Cinemax. This is Banshee. Banshee is a weird kind of a show. Um, it's about this ex-convict who winds up being a sheriff in this Amish town called Banshee. And um, it's kind of funky and kind of cool and kind of dark, and I, I do like a lot of this. I like the fact that Cinemax is, um, which has kind of been, it doesn't really have the uh, cachet of the HBO original shows and even the Showtime original shows, but Cinemax, they're out there trying, so uh, you might as well do something really weird like Banshee. So uh, the final season uh, premieres in the spring, so this is uh, season three. Uh, yeah, I think four seasons is, uh, is plenty for this um, this particular show, but uh, there you go, Banshee. It's definitely a funky little cool undergroundy kind of show you may want to check out. Uh, what you may not want to check out is the horrible remake of The Odd Couple. This is season one on uh, 
DVD. This is with Matthew Perry. Should and not exist. Thomas Lennon. I, I don't know. You know, there, there was there was like the a, there was a, a version of the Odd Couple, if you remember, with black actors for a moment. Demont Wilson. And, right. Uh, Demont Wilson. Yeah. Uh, which which, which that, that was a, just a bad move as well uh, back in the eighties. I don't know why they keep trying to really find like new ways of doing the Odd Couple. I it don't just know. it worked once. Move on. Find something else. Do something fresh. Why would Matt? See, here's the thing. You get Matthew Perry, who does the Odd Couple. Lame. Destined to fail or not be well received, and then you get um, Matt LeBlanc, who is doing episodes on Showtime, and that is something that at least is out there trying something interesting. Episodes has had some great episodes, and uh, season four is on DVD, and this show really has had some pretty amazing moments, and it's just bizarre when you look at like. You know, Matt LeBlanc taking some chances with episodes, and you look at Matthew Perry just doing just this lame, stupid sitcom on CBS. It's just um, those Friends guys, they really just can't get it together, unless you're Jennifer Aniston, I guess. So, uh, Eric, John Roche's The Spoils of Babylon, uh, which was originally on IFC. Did you follow this? No. This is, this is basically a um, kind of a soap opera spoof. Uh, the, the the Eric John Roche is Will Ferrell, essentially. And uh, this is kind of like a Peyton Place parody. It's everybody just really hamming it up in a huge way. Uh, Toby Maguire and uh, uh, Kristen Wiig. Uh, it's just uh, Tim Robbins is in this as well. It's just a big, big silly, sprawling parody, uh, which is very odd to watch when it's made for television. Uh, collaboration between IFC and Funny or Die. I, I guess it's fine. I, I guess this is enjoyable, but it's uh, it still feels like an overextended uh, Funny or Die sketch, uh, fundamentally. Uh, Maud. We get the complete fourth season of Maud, which, you know, 24 episodes, no extras. Uh, ongoing wonderfulness of the uh, 1975-76 uh, season, which, of course, the show was originally a spinoff from All in the Family. We've given that, given you that whole spinoff uh, lore before. Uh, the Nanny, the final season, thank goodness. Um, Fran Drescher's last mighty claim to fame. And uh, this show really went on much, much longer than it needed to. But uh, here it is, finally wrapping it out. And uh, if you're a fan of The Nanny, then there's obviously nothing I can do to dissuade you from that. And then uh, the complete fifth season of Louie, which continues to be one of television's great bright spots. I don't think anybody ever imagined that Louis C.K. would become... Uh, would push the envelope. You know, when, when we first started this whole thing, and I guess it, it effectively started with Home Improvement, where the whole idea was, let's get a, a stand-up comic and frame, a, and frame a, a, a sitcom around them as opposed to framing it around an actor or a, an ensemble. Let's just get a, a stand-up comic who already brings an audience and a cachet with them. And um, I don't think anybody, re- anybody ever thought that Louis C.K. would be the guy to sort of blow that whole model up and take it into really creative new areas. But he has. And the thing with him is that you know he um, he takes a lot. He that show is a done on a shoestring budget because yeah. he he takes a lot of risk. He's like, look, let me do whatever I want to do. You barely have to even pay me. Yeah, you know, I mean, he really takes nothing for that show. That show costs nothing to do. I know, but obviously, like all great filmmakers who want to do something interesting, they're willing to take less money in order to create what they want to create. Great guest stars on this. Jimmy Fallon even shows up. Uh, yeah, fifth season and uh, continues to be one of the most daring things on television. Very odd series, Dinotopia, the series. I did not know this ever existed, and I'm not sure that I needed to. This is from Mill Creek. Uh, this is nine hours, 13 episodes that are just so dreadfully cheesy. I just don't even know where to go. Um, it really this is based on these books by somebody named James Gurney about a family stranded in like a prehistoric world. It's very strange, and it doesn't really work. I, I hope this never never crosses my radar again. My Big Fat Greek Life, the complete series, this thing tanked. This was a horrible attempt at um, transferring that uh, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding to television. Did not work at all. And, of course, now we have My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, which is tanking, I believe, isn't it? I just think that that, that movie had had its moment, and now the moment is over. Well, they're, they're, Your movie needs to be on Blu-ray, by the way. Look, I love Lainey Kazan, but seriously, seriously, how much plastic surgery does one person need? I interviewed her. She was a delight. She was wonderful. She looked charming. Since then, she's, like, replaced every single part of her face. What's going on? What is up with that? Because she 
they all feel like they don't want to look old or oh, get old. Stop. By the way, can I tell you what movie yeah. needs to be on Big Night? Mm. Uh, big, big Blu-ray. Big Night. Yes. Big Night needs to be on Blu-ray. Yes. Why is that? Why is I that Stanley know. Tucci mini classic not on Blu-ray? I have no idea. I love that movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's a it's a great movie and it's a classic and it's uh, completely forgotten. I don't know. I I, I have no answers. Uh, and then uh, let's see. In the beginning uh, is I'll make a very quick mention of this. This is a, the story of Abraham, right, with Martin Landau playing Abraham and Jacqueline Bissett playing uh, playing uh, Sarah. It's you know what? Here's the problem. Um, all of these these old biblical things. This is about three hours long, and this was a big TV production back in whenever it was. Um, uh, the uh, what the problem with all of these biblical things is they do one of one of two takes either. They all act as though they know that what they are acting comes from the Bible. So there is this overwrought sanctimoniousness to it. Or they go the complete opposite direction, which is, well, we're just going to pretend this is just an, just an average, ordinary thing. Like, there's nothing special about this at all. And it becomes this really kind of uh, counterintuitive, drab, march-through-humdrum period, uh, you know, some kind of a, a desert narrative that appears to have no reason to exist. None of these things ever work very well. This is directed by uh, Kevin Connor, and it's so overwrought. Uh, it's not Martin Landau's fam- finest hour, and uh, I, uh, I just, I, you know, it, it, it just tries too hard. So I can't recommend that. This was a show that I was really actually quite fond of when it was on. It didn't last very long, but I am thrilled that this is uh, this is out again. This is from uh, also from Mill Creek, Future Cop, the complete series. Uh, with uh, Ernest Borgnine, John Amos, and Michael Shannon, a very, very good Michael Shannon, who sort of went off the radar completely. But uh, this is really, really quite cool. The uh, this all this is sort of part of the television, the moment the television had in the wake of the Six Million Dollar Man, where everybody was looking to do something similar. And the idea here is that Michael Shannon basically plays a new kind of cop who's an android. And uh, he, of course, is kind of like a superhero cop. He's, you know, smarter, and he's got, you know, super strength and the whole thing. And uh, Ernest Borgnine is that crusty old partner who just tries to convince him, you know, you got to have a little bit of humanity. And it, you know what? It actually kind of works. Um, it's a little dated, and the show lasted not even half a season. But, uh, you know, Ernest Borgnine's great. John Amos is great. And I cannot say enough about Michael Shannon, who does a really, really good job. So this is a, a weird little blip from, uh, you know, television in the 1970s, and it deserves to be rediscovered. It's really a lot of fun. Future Cop, the complete series, which is not much. Wade, let's do uh, Fear the Walking Dead. Booyah. Season one of Fear the Walking Dead is on Blu-ray. This is a special edition. This has bonus features and deleted scenes and commentaries. Um, I was... Um not a fan of this. I like the idea that they transplanted this spinoff to Los Angeles, and I really like the idea that they had to take place sort of at the very beginnings of the outbreak. But the family that they picked is kind of like a lame family that I'm not that interested in, and uh, I kind of felt like uh, what seemed like a shrewd move is um, it, it picked up steam later in the season, so I guess, you know, maybe as it goes along, you might enjoy it more, but... Um, in early April, uh, the new season uh, comes back. But, um, yeah, so a lot of bonus features, as I said, deleted scenes and this stuff about the stunts and the locations and whatnot. So Fear of the Walking Dead, I was kind of hoping would be better. Uh, hopefully hopefully they'll correct the mistakes of season one, make it better for season two. There's a show on um, There's a show on Cinemax. We just talked about Cinemax that uh, I, I barely even – this thing doesn't – not even a blip on the radar, this thing called Strike Back. It's the final season. It's season four of the show, the final season, and I just think this thing is just ridiculous. It takes place, there's this, uh, there's this British anti-terrorist group called Section 20, and they, you know, they span the globe fighting terrorists. You know, they're in, they're in uh, Japan, and they're in Russia, and they're cyber terrorists, and I just think this thing is really overwrought. I was just never a big fan of it. Like, two, two of the characters was named Damien Scott, and Michael Stonebridge, Damien and Stonebridge, <laughs> with names like that, you know what that means? It means they're badass because they're Damien and Stonebridge. Stonebridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't you understand? Anyway, people who like that kind of you know uh, that this kind of stuff, you know, spy 
drama and they're never name they never have names like fizzy dirk water or <laughs> they really uh, don't or uh, or schmoey or schmoey schmolovitz see that was yeah. that was my thing with i used to have this theory about about wall street like if wall street you know the 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 not just the street but the whole financial thing <laughs> no, I, if wall street was called like fizzle bottom road somehow <laughs> it just wouldn't be as cool oliver stone presents fizzle bottom road starring charlie true. sheen that's true. no wall street that's the one anyways people like this strike back even though it's totally under the radar i was kind of like you know what i just feel like i've seen this a million times before um so i'm not fizzy into it. bottom road <laughs> Oh, season two of Manhattan, which is another one of those shows that's kind of like uh, a little bit under the radar. This is all about what, what's happening in uh, Los Alamos as the nuclear bomb is being uh, being uh, created. Um, this show mixes uh, history and personal in a way that I think is uh, uh, occasionally pretty interesting. I think this uh, show needs kind of like a bit of a bit of a I don't know, like a boost in scripting or a boost in interesting direction or maybe better casting because somehow it's not really reaching its potential but um it is kind of an interesting show manhattan so uh season two is on blu-ray and there you go all righty so uh let me roll through a few more little uh classic-y things here one is a movie uh not movie a series that uh the first season of a series and this comes to us from the uh, collaboration between Timeless Media and Shout. Timeless, of course, has been releasing a lot of westerns and interesting TV. And uh, this is the collector's edition of the complete first season of Death Valley Days. Now, 18 episodes. And a lot of people are thinking, uh, Death Valley Days? What's Death Valley Days? I've never heard of it before. The only reason I know about Death Valley Days, I used to, uh, you know, I grew up, Mark, as, as you did. Uh, we grew up in an era where there was uh, pre-cable. The first television I ever had in the house was a black and white, uh, like like nineteen inch television, and I didn't know there was such a thing as color. So when I when we first got a color TV, and suddenly I got to see Batman in color as opposed to seeing the black and white thing that said Batman in color, and then it was always in black and white. Uh, that was a pretty exciting thing. But I would always go try to try to tune in some of those UHF channels, right? You know, you you, sure. you go off the dial, and you try to get some of that higher stuff, you know, like sixty three, sixty eight, and uh, you you tune in some of those channels, and then you get really weird stuff. You get like uh, you know, like the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi would be rambling for hours on end, or you'd get some weird. Uh, local talk show from somewhere out in like Kern County where somebody would be complaining about, you know, tomato harvest or something. It was just, it was very odd like stuff. Dr. Gene Scott? Dr. Gene Scott, that kind of stuff. You get all of that away, way up and off the dial. And then uh, you'd occasionally get some interesting reruns. You'd get, you know, odd uh, uh, reruns at odd hours of the day or interesting movies. And one of those was Death Valley Days. And I would once in a while be able to tune it in and check out Death Valley Days, which originally started in the radio era, believe it or not. And uh, it is, uh, it, it's one of the longest-running Western series ever, uh, even though it's kind of largely forgotten today. But uh, it is it still is actually pretty good, and it is... Uh, basically fact-based in very broad strokes and uh, deals with people who, uh, you know, uh, essentially kind of built the this particular part of the uh, California West. And, uh, some, you know, some good acting and some good guest stars. And uh, actually, it's a nice show to rediscover. It really, uh, it really has a, a sheen to it that other shows from the era, like Wagon Train and Bonanza and, you know, uh, Big Valley and all those other shows from the era, uh, Guns, uh, Gunsmoke, that they didn't really... They didn't really quite capture. And Death Valley Days is a nice compliment to that era and to that genre. So bravo that that comes back. A Tale of Two Cities uh, was a television miniseries that uh, attempted to tell a story that his people have been trying to remake forever. Uh, the definitive film is still the old uh, black and white uh, adaptation. But uh, this is not too terrible. This is from 1981. And uh, it, this is a Shout Factory Blu-ray, so they have got, done a nice job of uh, making it look uh, really pretty and sparkling. Uh, Alice Krieg, who, of course, has you know, continued to be a, be a really, really good actress. She shows up in this. Peter Cushing, Barry Morris. Uh, this thing got a pile of, Oscar, of uh, Emmy nominations as well. And, uh, you know, it is not the definitive telling of the story. It is not definitively Dickens. It is not definitively the uh, French Revolution. But it's okay. It's fine. Um, it's okay. It, it, it you know, it, it's one of the few versions that exists out there, so we have to kind of live with it. Uh, the complete series of Hogan's Heroes finally out. All 168 episodes on 27 discs in a single box set. 
this doesn't really do anything that wasn't already done. Uh, we are, we've already had this series out uh, in individual season sets, and uh, that kind of fits the bill. Uh, if you want to have it in a single, like, two-mega-keep case thing where all the seasons are in a nice little single-box set, then this certainly saves you some space, but otherwise there's no reason to uh, upgrade. It's got all the same stuff. Audio commentaries, gag reel, uh, and all that kind of junk. But uh, I still love this show. You know how popular this became in Germany, actually, just in the last twenty years. Yeah, because in Germany they 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 have no idea that there actually was World <laughs> yes. War II or Nazis or I, anything. I think it lets. I think it's a little bit cathartic. It kind of lets uh, some of the steam out. Um, and then, uh, lastly, I got a couple here from uh, Universal. Uh, one is Heroes Reborn, which we have to say nice things about because Greg Grunberg is a friend, and uh, we can't say anything uh, even remotely uh, derogatory about Greg Un- anything that Greg Grunberg does, in, which we didn't even mention him in Star Wars last week. We didn't even kind of pay homage to Greg, who, by the way, when Greg shows up, I don't know if your screening of uh, Force Awakens was this way, but when Greg shows up in that l- scene where they're sitting around the table and everybody's talking about their strategy, the big, the obligatory Star Wars strategize around the little hollow table scene, right. which they all have. When, when that scene came up in our screening, everyone started laughing. <laughs> you realize that. Everyone started laughing because it is such an inside joke now. Everyone's like, of course. Every movie that J.J. makes, Greg has to show up. Every TV show J.J. makes, Greg shows up. Then, literally just last week, they announced that Bad Robot was going to make a film from Greg's uh, graphic Graphic novel. novel. Yeah. It's just like, Greg made the best friend in the world when he made friends with J.J. That has just been... uh, But J.J. is very loyal to people. He really is very loyal. He's very loyal. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. And Greg is a great actor. I mean, I have to give him credit. Greg is a a terrific actor. And And a good drummer. I, I and I, I remember, man. I remember when he was just really, really struggling to to get that acting career going, and it finally popped for him. And it just, you know, he's made the best of it. And he used to always make me laugh so hard. And he gave me a wonderful Amazon review for my Jackie Chan book. So what can I say? Anyway, Heroes Reborn uh, revisits, of course, the uh, the hit show, which, of course, at one point, the uh, one of the key writers on that show was my very good friend uh, Natalie Chides from film school. Natalie, who is now showrunner on Hunters along with Gail Ann Hurd, which uh, has a big launch party that I'm going to be going to tomorrow. And uh, anyway, Heroes Reborn, uh, the event series, is good. It's good. If you're a fan of the original Heroes, this revisits it in a, uh, in a very satisfying way. And then, lastly, for my little stack here, The Expanse, season one, one of the most interesting science fiction shows ever, at least in the last 25 years. This is on sci-fi, and I think this really steps it up for sci-fi. Um, this takes place just a couple of centuries in the future where the uh, solar system is colonized, and it, it really limits the science fiction aspect uh, in an interesting way. It's, it suggests that once humanity has colonized the solar system, uh, suddenly all of our social divisions and, uh, and, and, and um, uh, all of the issues all that, that sort of afflict mankind um, redefine themselves. They don't go away. They're the same issues, but they redefine themselves within the confines of a solar system and all of the new, uh, you know, it sort of creates a whole new frontier uh, in the way the solar system is structured. And uh, I, it's really quite fascinating. And they've thought it through in a really, really great way. And you build it around a, uh, a missing persons case. And, uh, y- you know, you, you suddenly make the future feel incredibly earthy and a little bit like the, uh, the Wild West all over again. So uh, I thought this, was a re- this is a really, really interesting way of uh, reinventing the science fiction show. Thomas Jane finally gets that television role that he's just been needing for the longest time. This is a guy who's like been born to anchor a TV series, and he finally gets a really good one. So I think uh, The Expanse on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet is, uh, is pretty solid, man. I'm looking forward to what they do with this series. Wade Major. Grace and Frankie, season one on DVD. Why is it not on Blu-ray? Because if you're likely to want to buy Grace and Frankie, you don't even own a Blu-ray player. There you go. Uh, this is from Netflix. This stars uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, who both have had a lot of work done. Actually, I saw Jane Fonda at one of those uh, year-end parties we go to at LAFCA. Mm-hmm. And even though when you, it's funny, when you see her on TV, you go, God, she's had a lot of work done. That's terrible. When you see her in person, she looked a lot better. Anyway, Gracie and uh, uh, Grace and Frankie is a funny show. It's a little bit caricaturish, but um, uh, but it is a cute show. It's about uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin play these uh, two women who have never liked each other, and they both have married to the same. You know, they both have married for many many years, 
And it turns out that both of their husbands, played by Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston, both their husbands are leaving them so that they can marry each other. What? Their wives? They're leaving their wives to marry each other? See, this is where we've come to now, is that... Is that we've television for so long it was taboo to have any representation of gay characters or gay relationships that you then move into where well it's okay we have Will and Grace and so now and now we've moved to the next step which is uh, we're just it, it's become a a narrative trope like now we're it's becoming cliche now it's become a cliche it's become a thing that we use not to to make it treat it in and of itself but to sort of motivate other weird comic situations. There are only four reasons to watch this show. Uh, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, and Sam Waterston. Otherwise, I don't know. I, although I like the show, I think it's fine. Um, it's never quite as funny as I want it to be, never quite as insightful as I want it to be. I just feel like these guys bring, especially Fonda and Lily Tomlin, not just a professionalism to it, which Netflix clearly does not deserve, but um, but also they bring a little bit of like subtext, you know, in terms of like just sorrow and being being dumped late in life. There's a little stuff there. I wish there was more of it, but um, ultimately you have to watch it for the for these four people. Otherwise, there's no point. Because if, if 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 they start four unknowns or four people I didn't care enough about, I I don't think I'd care about the show at all. Uh, season six of Archer is uh is on uh dvd uh this is the fx show that i think is pretty funny i like this show this is kind of a spy spoof um sterling archer is like this kind of sexy spy who's a little bit clueless and a little bit sarcastic and just a little bit ridiculous and uh yeah i like archer a lot i think it's a funny show the guy who does the uh the main voice the guy uh voice of archer is also uh, does a voice on uh, family guy and I think that guy's got a very funny droll voice like him a lot i do like archer check that out also we have Season one of Casual. Now, when Jason Reitman, who EPs this show, when he did uh, Men, Women, and Children, that was his last film about uh, how, yeah, you know, yeah. these, these which, kids. Which I liked. These and kids which, today and their cell phones. And their texting, which I, I, I think everyone else was really harsh on that. I thought that had a lot of good stuff. In it. Uh, you know, I just felt like I was being lectured to. I just yeah, felt it was, just, it was like this big harangue about how terrible uh, cell phones are and how terrible Facebook is and how terrible texting is. I feel like with Casual, he's got – he's more into his wheelhouse, which is modern romance. It's got an adult sensibility. It's got a certain amount of wisdom in terms of, like, friendships and figuring out, you know, like, where you are in terms of your parents at – you know, if your parents are screwed up, that's okay because you can still make a better life for yourself. And I feel like there's just enough depth here, just enough, just enough comedy in here, just enough, you know, insight and good characters in here that I feel like Reitman – Again, he he didn't direct all these episodes, but uh, he's definitely the showrunner, uh, one of. I feel like he's a little more in his uh, in his wheelhouse. Um, season two, I think, is coming up, and hopefully they'll uh, build on that success. But season one of Casual is on uh, DVD. Bravo. All right. Uh, let's see, Mark. We've got. We're not going to be able to get through everything else that we have left. So we've basically got. Actually, you know what? Got some other films here. We should we should hit real quickly, and then we uh, guys, I'll, and then I'll do some British TV. Uh, so let me make fast mention. Uh, yeah, you yeah you do that one. I'll I'll hit these. Um, Only Angels Have Wings finally out from Criterion. Um, you know what's funny about this? In late 2014, there was a uh, a Blu-ray of Only Angels Have Wings. The first time it was on Blu-ray that was released from the uh, the Turner Classics. Library, which was being released at the time through uh, through Sony and and Columbia, and uh, they were unbelievably stingy and very badly managed in terms of how they were handling that. And I I harassed them forever to get me a copy of that, and I don't know what the issue was. They were never able to do it. Nobody could find one. It just it it, it was staggering, and I've been I've I pursued that well into last year. And then found out, oh, Only Angels Have Wings coming out from Criterion. So screw it. <laughs> Don't need that previous version. Uh, so we finally have Only Angels Have Wings, Blu-ray from uh, Criterion. Classic old Howard Hawks film with Gene Arthur and Cary Grant. And uh, piled sky high with extras, which includes this fantastic new 4K restoration. It is so gorgeous. It's unbelievable. I saw this film on a nitrate print in film school, which was not to be believed. This is comparable. I mean, it really is. It is comparable. It is just not to be believed how gorgeous this is. And uh, you get an interview with uh, David Thompson, great classic film critic who's, you know, kind of a, a god in our field. 
audio excerpts from a 1972 conversation with uh, Howard Hawks and Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, a new uh, little kind of uh, documentary featurette went on how, uh, Howard Hawks and his aviation movies, uh, an adaptation for Lux Radio Theater from 1939. Really just a, a bunch of wonderful stuff, as well as an essay by uh, Michael Schregau, who uh, is, of course, a colleague of ours. And um, uh, here's, the, here's the kicker. This is one of the great films from 1939, the year of great films, Only Angels Have Wings. I don't even like this movie. What? I don't even like this movie. I, I think this is just, for those who don't know, it is uh, essentially the, the one of the original great adventure movies that, uh, you know, it takes place in a South American, a little kind of a little South American outpost. Uh, and it deals with, you know, pilots and daring pilots and, and, and peppy women. Jean Arthur is that, she's got moxie and Cary Grant's got charm. And uh, it's you know pe- you know white people in some kind of an inclement uh, third world environment you know struggling to just show how much moxie they all have and I just think the whole thing is just unbelievably convoluted and drawn out and makes no sense whatsoever it is it's just over two hours long it feels like it's about four hours I just think it's it's a, it's horribly overwrought but it's a classic people love it who am I to judge you're but a I, critic that's what you but do I for don't a living. like it I just don't like it. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. It's like it's. I should love everything about it. Howard Hawks, Cary Grant, Gene Arthur, pilots, great special effects. I mean, really, even for the era, great special effects. And then also, uh, Village of the Damned. Uh, this is a collector's edition of the John Carpenter remake of Village of the Damned. This is not the original Village of the Damned. This is the uh, remake from 1995, which is unfortunately not very good. I hate to say. Um, even though it's got some, you know, some decent moments in it, um, you got you know Christopher Reeve, Kirstie Alley, but it just, you know, the it, it, the original is still the film, the the creepy kids and the whole thing. Uh, it, it's it's just the original is a great great movie, and this just feels too much like we're kind of trying to reinvent something that didn't need to be reinvented. But anyway, uh, this is from Shout Factory and the Scream Factory line. And uh, if you're if you're a John Carpenter fan, by all means, you're going to want to check it out. It's got tons and tons and tons and tons of special features, featurettes, and uh, new interviews, and all that fun stuff. It, they just load this thing up. So if you're a fan of the movie, fan of John Carpenter, you get plenty. You know, speaking of uh, John Carpenter, uh, Wade already knows this. This broke a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to make Wade. I'm going to make Wade throw up because Sean Levy is remaking Starman. I saw that. And I had a little mini uh, stroke. I did. I, I I saw that, and I just I thought, how, like of all the like, I mean, what? Every every once in a while, I will see that some director I absolutely loathe is preparing to remake a movie that I either love or have a great deal of respect for. And like Zack Snyder, when he's like, "Oh yeah, I've been checking out the Fountainhead." Okay, I would have had an aneurysm over that again, as I mentioned, if I didn't know for a fact that there's not a chance that that's going to happen. Um, but like Starman, why don't don't mess with that man? Leave, take your leave your hands off, Levy. Go do something. Do a TV series. Go do Night at the Museum seventeen. Please keep uh, making Night at the Museum movies and spinoffs of Night at the Museum. Make that your entire life's preoccupation. Anyway, uh, we love the folks at uh, Scream Factory, but I don't really like this DVD or Blu-ray. It's uh, it's a double feature, Destroyer and Edge of Sanity. Now both these films uh, feature Anthony Perkins. Now the Destroyer. It's from 1988. This thing, this thing stars Lyle Alzado. Now, Lyle Alzado was a football player for the Raiders. Who, who, who died. He died. Yeah. And um, he was a football player for the Raiders, and he was part of that, like the O.J. Simpson, Jim Brown, Lyle Alzado, Brian Bosworth. They're all trying to make these football players because they're so buff into these action stars. And uh, this thing is just terrible. Anyway, Lyle Alzado plays a... He's a convicted killer, and he's about to be electrocuted, but on the day of the electrocution, a riot breaks out in the prison, and then what happens to Lyle Alzado? He becomes the destroyer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just terrible. And Edge of Sanity, you know, here's the thing with Anthony Perkins. You know, Anthony Perkins, obviously, his iconic role is, uh, is in Psycho, and it's, and it's lesser. It's sequels, because his sequels are all terrible, except for the way that Perkins says the word cutlery in Psycho 2. Uh, it's my cutlery. Uh, because uh, he has a relationship with Cutlery, thanks to uh, the original Psycho. Uh, anyway, uh, Perkins, you know, it's very rare to see an Anthony Perkins film where he doesn't get to play a crazy person. And in Edge of Sanity, he gets to play like three crazy people. And this movie, which is from 89, is just terrible. He plays not only Dr. Jekyll, not only Mr. Hyde, but he might also be Jack the Ripper. He kind of gets to play all three. 
Oh, that's lovely. In this terrible film called Edge of Sanity, just not a fan. Um, if you know what, if you want to see Anthony Perkins, if you like Anthony Perkins, and you want to see him in a in a regular role as an actual person, I would recommend Play It As It Lays, which is based on the Joan Didion novel. He, uh, it's, 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 which is kind of bizarre, cold, but somehow intriguing, if not mesmerizing, Hollywood kind of satire. Um, and Perkins plays one of the main roles. That's a great opportunity to see Anthony Perkins play an actual person and not just a crazy person, which after Psycho, I guess, is the only roles he was offered. So if yeah, you want to see him much. do, if you want to see him do something decent, I would check out Played as It Lays, which I don't know if that's on DVD. It is on DVD. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I don't know the that's Joan Didion question. film. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Interesting. Anyway, there you go. All right, and then uh, lastly, I'm going to burn through some uh, British TV here, which uh, we have let kind of accumulate for a few weeks. Uh, the first one here is Prisoners' Wives: The Complete Collection, which originally aired on BBC. This is from Acorn, four discs. Uh, approximately 10 hours worth of material here, uh, 10 individual episodes, and I gotta tell you, this is a great series. This is really, really great. Um, I, I thought that this would wind up being kind of like the desperate housewives of, um, uh, of you know, mob wives, right? Uh, that kind of a thing. It's not at all. It's, it's really incredibly insightful and very touching and, uh, and really well written. Uh, it, it gets right into the nitty gritty of, you know, what happens when you are left behind and uh, your, your spouse, your male spouse in this case, goes to, goes to prison. It is, uh, is jaw-droppingly well thought out and well written. Really, really first rate. Uh, the Trials of Jimmy Rose. Um, you know what? This would be great for no, uh, if for no reason other than the fact that Ray Winstone stars in it. That's it. Ray Winstone could just sit in a chair and talk to me, uh, break the fourth wall for, uh, for two hours, and I would just be absolutely fine. This is about two and a half hours long, three episodes, um, about an ex-con named Jimmy Rose who's been uh, locked away for well over a decade, and uh, he comes home. And uh, it is all about, uh, you know, what happens when he finds out that his family, the family he left behind, is, uh, is kind of screwed up. And uh, now he's sort of got to do whatever he's got to do to take care of his family. It's all about Ray Winstone. I got to tell you, he's just the man. He is cool. He's the best. Seasons one and two, or series one and two, to use the uh, British vernacular, of The Fall. Gillian uh, Anderson, who is just always wonderful uh, and, uh, you know... Good, good on her for going over there and taking a taking a part in a British show. Uh, this is great stuff. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that this is around for quite a long time. The uh, the fall is really really great writing. It's just for some reason the British do this kind of stuff better than anybody else. Um, so Gillian Anderson basically plays a detective who has to solve a crime in Belfast, and um, it of course turns out to be a rather gruesome gruesome addition to the uh, ongoing exploits of a of a nasty serial killer, and she has to sort of do the uh, Jodie Foster thing now and uh, track down, you know, figure out who's doing it and, and go through all the procedural uh, jump through all the procedural hoops necessary to solve it. Um, it's fantastic. It's really 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 great stuff, and um, it it. It, it's just solid writing, and one of the things that I think it does particularly well is that each episode feels like a complete reinvention of the story. It just takes a leap from one episode to the other, so you don't feel like it's treading water like so many American shows do. Well, she's reinvented herself uh, overseas. Oh, she's done a great job. And each of these, by the way, you know, the first the first series is five episodes, the second series is six episodes. So when we talk about series, well, five, six, twelve, that's still two seasons of this thing is like half a season of an American show. So you're, you you only have eleven episodes between these two seasons, and then and it's it's but it's a lot. It's dense and it's thick and it's really beautifully done. And that's on Blu-ray. That is on Blu-ray. They they've really it looks good and the whole thing. Uh, the complete collection. This is one that people a lot of people will have a fondness for. Peter Bowles, another one of those great British actors who uh, never really became a, t- a movie star, but he's always been really top on on television and Rumpole of the Bailey and a lot of other great shows. Uh, this is 18 episodes, 16 hours. The complete, the Irish RM. Uh, this is wonderful. This was a uh, very popular masterpiece theater uh, production. This was originally done in the uh, mid 1980s, and uh, I was I actually discovered this when I was in Europe at the time, and uh, it, it's just really, really charming. Uh, it's by a guy who's basically a, an Irish magistrate and uh, just dealing with all of these peculiar people in the area around him. It's not like over-the-top Father Ted, 
silly, but it's got it's got a certain charm, kind of the similar charm to it. Uh, that whole eccentric Irish village thing that uh, so many TV shows and movies really uh, have a lot of fun with, and uh, a lot of great supporting performances. Uh, it's just delightful, really, really charming, and most of it centers around the fact that Peter Bowles is a fantastic actor and, and can basically do no wrong. And uh, let's wrap out with Humans, the uncut uh, UK edition. This is uh, more pushing the envelope with British television, uh, the kind of thing that you know really becomes part of British television in the wake of Doctor Who, because genre television is not really what... Uh, Anybody in the UK did, apart from Jerry Anderson back in the uh, 60s and 70s, he was kind of like the sum total of, of genre television in the UK, apart from Doctor Who. But now they're doing it more and more, and you get stuff like uh, Humans. And a lot of uh, Americans show up in this as well, uh, and it's, uh, it's basically dealing with uh, like synthetic humans, replicants, androids in the uh, near future who uh, are supposed to be servants to people, supposed to take care of us, but of course... They wind up having a, a mind of their own as replicants slash androids slash whatever always do. And uh, the, the, the way that they, uh, they, they build this drama out is, is quite provocative. It's very, very provocative and very smart. So uh, good on them. That's eight episodes, 385 minutes on three discs. And uh, let's see where that goes. Maybe that'll turn into a bigger thing, too. Keep that, keep that story going. I, I can see that being a film. I can too. Like if that was like a YA novel, yeah, that would oh, already be heartbeat. like a four in a heartbeat picture deal. Yeah, absolutely in a heartbeat. All right, with that, you can email us uh, anything you want. Vox boxes, emails, uh, the usual at gods at digigods and we will see you next week. A film from 1962. It was awesome. When I say awesome, I mean awesomely bad and yet awesomely good at the same time. Good stuff. Journey to the Seventh Planet. Great cheesy sci-fi. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We will see you guys next week.